Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, LBCF. I'm not Barb. Barb will be up here teaching in a minute, but I wanted to intro um, our, our new series that we're starting, and it is the Psalms of Ascent. And if you uh, don't know what those are, that's just Psalm 120 through 135, 36. Um, I really encourage you to read ahead each week. Uh, we'll be providing what text we'll be reading each week. But um, as I was preparing for what we would do next in our teaching series with our teaching team, I got really excited about something that I believe that the Psalms do really well is in the midst of chaos, and in the midst of people who are searching for truth, in the midst of people who are, having, who are losing things, who are wandering, who are traveling, who are moving from one place to the next, those sort of timely and timeless things are so addressed in the Psalms. And as a community, I'm so excited that we have an opportunity to be held by the Psalms, that we have an opportunity for a, for a moment where we can come into church and in the midst of all of the variety, because one of the things that I have um, had the privilege, but also the weight of of seeing since I've become the, since I've taken on the role of teaching and being a pastor is I get to hear more of where a lot of you are at each week. And I, in, in a way, I wish all of you knew what variety of, of weight and things that, all, that are brought into this room each week. And I believe that because there's so much that we're all carrying and holding that I hope today you have an opportunity to lay it down to be held um, by Scripture. And so one of the things that is also that I'm sort of, because I'm a Bible nerd, um, when I start thinking of the Psalms, I'm like, oh, we get to start talking about the genre of Scripture. We get to start talking about the different ways that people wrote. And so I want, before we even start reading, before we start studying, um, I have a video from the Bible Project, which if you're not familiar with them, there's a podcast, there's a lot of videos um, that are very well done. Uh, let's watch the one on how to read the Psalms, and then Pastor Barb will come up, and she will open us up in Psalm 120. We've been talking about poetry in the Bible, how biblical poets love design and masterfully use metaphor and symbolism. These poems invite us into an experience, to ponder ideas slowly and from many angles. And the largest collection of poetry in the Bible is the book of Psalms. So that's what we're going to look at here. Now, the Israelites composed lots of poetry throughout their history. Yeah, poems were written by Israelites, sages, kings, and prophets. Some poems were sung by choirs in the Jerusalem temple, while others were prayed by families at home. And over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to be read or sung on special occasions. And I'm familiar with books of poetry, a large collection of the greatest poems in one place, and I can read through and pick my favorites. But the Book of Psalms isn't that kind of collection. Here, each poem has been expertly crafted and then placed where it is for a reason, to create a storyline from the book's beginning to its end. The Psalms poetically retell the entire biblical story, and they invite you into a literary temple. A literary temple? 
Yeah, so the tabernacle and then later the temple in Jerusalem were where ancient Israelites went to meet with God. When you arrived, you would see art and imagery everywhere. You'd see priests performing rituals. You'd hear songs and prayers, all of it symbolically proclaiming that your God rules the world from this mountain and you're in his living room. So the temple was a place to be in God's presence and also to immerse yourself in the story of God's kingdom. Exactly. And so try to imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, plundered and burned the temple, and then took many Israelites into exile. Yeah, where can they go now to meet with God, to sing their story and say prayers? That's where the book of Psalms comes in. It's a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. You enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to you in poetry. Cool, but how does the Psalms do it? Let's start with the book's design. There are 150 poems broken up into five clear sections. At the beginning, there's been placed a short introduction, Psalms 1 and 2, which lay out the main themes of the whole book by reviewing the biblical storyline. Okay. Psalm 1 looks back to the Garden of Eden and its river of life. Yeah, God placed humanity in a garden temple. And here, humans decide to define good and evil on their own terms and so are exiled from the garden. But the first psalm paints a portrait of hope, about an upright human who delights in God's wisdom, which is called Torah, or instruction. This person is like the tree of life in the garden temple. They eternally blossom because they're planted in the river of God's life. Yeah, that's beautiful. But who's it supposed to be? Well, remember that story in Genesis. After humanity's foolish rebellion, God made a promise. Oh, right, a future human, the seed of the woman who would come and defeat evil and restore the world. And that's what Psalm 2 is about. God's promise that a king would come from the line of David. He's called the Son of God and the Messiah. God appoints him to bring justice on human evil and to restore God's kingdom and peace over the nations. So Psalms 1 and 2 introduce all these main themes. Yes, and then the book develops those themes through the five sections. The first two explore the complicated story of David and his royal family. The third section focuses on the tragedy of Israel's exile and the downfall of David's royal line. But then the fourth and fifth sections rekindle the hope for the Messiah, a new temple, and God's kingdom on the other side of the exile. Then the book ends with a five-part conclusion, praising God for his faithfulness. Cool. Now, nearly half of the Psalms are connected to one guy, King David, who God chose to rule Israel. Yes, David's story is really important in this book. He experienced many times of hardship, but he trusted God with radical faith. And in these poems, David shares his fears, confesses his failures, and offers thanks to his Redeemer. And he's constantly speaking of a deep longing to be in God's presence in the temple. But wait, David lived before the temple was even built. Exactly. This portrait of David, hoping and praying for God's kingdom and a future temple, it resembles the hopes of the later generations of the exiles. And so David's prayers could become theirs as well. David's like a prayer coach, giving us words for how to pray and how to discover God's presence in good times and bad. Exactly. There are 73 poems connected to David, but most of the rest come from later generations of biblical poets, and they have learned to pray and hope like David. And so the end result is the book of Psalms, designed as a virtual temple for all generations of God's people. This isn't a kind of book you just read once and put down. No, it's designed for a lifetime of slow rereading and reflection. These prayers and laments and songs of praise are meant to become our own. 
They're poems for exiles who are learning to live by God's wisdom and to seek God's justice in the world as they hope for the coming Messiah and the kingdom of God. So that was so good, huh? But we're not done with Psalms yet. Um, I really love the end where it says they are meant to become our own because they're songs, they're poems, they're prayers for exiles. And I know that I can feel like an exile so much of the time. I don't know about you guys in this crazy masked, unmasked world that we live in and just all of the, the, the weirdness of life these past almost two years, you guys. It's so wild. So I'm Barbara Sanofsky. I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't know me, um, you should. So um, I just want to say that I am wearing camouflage shoes today, so you actually can't see me at all. So whatever you're making up about how I look, you're wrong. <laughs> um, also, I'm limping a little bit more because, you guys, January the 5th, start praying now. I'm going to have my right knee replaced just wanted to put it out there into the community, and um, which means that since I already have two mechanical hips, sometime in February I'm going to be a Chevrolet. <laughs> I kind of feel like a transformer, you know, where you can bend my... <laughs> it's really wild and crazy. Anyway, I'm not looking forward to it, but part of what I'm trying to do to get ready for it is I've started some intermittent fasting, because, you know... And um, I also, for the past three days, have been exercising, which hurts like all the dirty words you can think in your brain and makes me limp even worse, so I want to quit. But I need you all. I need this community of people that I love and who I know love me just a little bit to encourage me as I get closer and closer to January 5th. And pray some psalms over me, please. <laughs> So um, we're going to, we're, we're starting actually in a different kind of psalm. We're starting in 15 psalms that begin with Psalm 120 that are called the Psalms of Ascent. That means that they're meant to take us higher, and we're going to be covering all of them from 120 to 135. And we're going to be talking about um, kind of like the life that they call us to because that's exactly what they do. And um, Sam always says, what is the title of your message? Way before I even know what it is. That I'm... But one of the things that came up for me is I'll take the low road and you'll take the high road. And No, it's I'll take the high road, you'll take the low road. And I'll get wherever I'm going before you will get there. But really, that's what Psalms of Ascents are. They're calling us to take a higher road. It's not to meet God because he isn't high. I'm actually going to say that later probably better than I'm saying it now, but um, God is with us on that road. God is right here with us. And even as we're considering this morning what it would mean to take a higher road, and my prayer is that that is what we will be considering, especially after this teaching, that you guys will know that even when you take the first step, even before you take the first step, God's already with you. Jesus already loves you. He already delights in you. He already, he, he's crazy about you. He dances whenever he hears your name. So with God as our accompaniment, we cannot help, right, but take that higher road. So 
I put in the trash can this morning a part of my teaching, which meant I had to call John and he had to find it for me and I had to write it on top of this. So all with that, let's begin. Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word, Lord, and to um, let it work in my heart, Lord. And may it come out of my mouth this morning in ways that would work in the hearts of all these people that I love so very much, Father, both of those that are in the room right now and those that are watching us on Facebook, on YouTube. Who knows when? Who knows when? This will show up somewhere. People, we are submerged in a culture swarming with lies and malice. So says Eugene Peterson in his book that he wrote on the Psalms of Ascent called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He said that probably in 1980 when he wrote the first version of this book, but he did update it in 2000, so maybe he said that in 2000, but doesn't that kind of fit for the life we're living today? If we check our, we check our Twitter feed, our Instagram, our Facebook, TikTok, family friends, our favorite political parties, we, have a cult we live in a culture that's swimming with lies and malice. We don't really know what's true. Um, I'm going to quote somebody else here. His name is Solomon. In around 400 BC, he wrote this. There's nothing new under the sun. So we shouldn't really expect to not be submerged in a culture swimming with lies and malice. Um, Eugene Peterson goes on to say that our dissatisfaction with this world, coupled with our longing for peace and for truth, can set us on a pilgrim path of wholeness, of shalom, peace-seeking, with God, with God at our side. So what's a pilgrim? The Mayflower, well, it's 1621, a rock somewhere on the East Coast. What is a pilgrim? Well, a pilgrim is actually a person who makes a trip, who journeys, often a long and difficult journey to a special place for religious reading reasons. And the writer of this psalm was such a person. He was on a journey. He was making a trip. Are we willing to be pilgrims? It's almost like, are we willing to be immigrants? <laughs> are we willing to leave the place that we're at because the place that we're going to is better, could be better? Is God calling us to that? Is that part of the new that Pastor Danny talked about that maybe God is calling Long Beach Christian Fellowship to? You know, my heart so resonates with that. God is calling us to take the high road. He's calling us to take the road that Jesus walked, and Jesus will be on that road with us. So let's read the psalm. And this particular translation is um, from the Hebrew Bible by a man by the name of Robert Alter. And he's a really interesting guy. He wrote a commentary, and he translated a Bible, and yet he says he, is, he does not have a faith. So this is the way that he translated Psalm 120. A song of ascents. To the Lord when I was in straits, I called out and he answered me, Lord, save my life from lying lips, from a tongue of deceit. 
What can it give you? What can it add? A tongue of deceit. A warrior's honed arrows with broomwood coals. Woe to me, for I have sojourned in Meshech, dwelled among the tents of Kedar. Long has my whole being dwelled among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Harsh. This is, this is not, these are not easy words. But it's, this is the first of those 15 psalms where we are asked and invited by God, like Abraham, to leave the place that is comfortable to go, to go up to Jerusalem. And um, did you hear the invitation? I hope you're hearing an invitation even now. And I just want to reiterate that it is, we don't have to go up to find God. God is going with us. He's already here. And it is because he invites us to be so close that maybe what the up is really referring to is that he is asking us to get on his lap. <laughs> as his beloved children. Maybe that's the high road, to actually um, acknowledge that we are children of God and that we have a place on his lap. So I love this translation for many reasons, particularly for the word straits. It immediately makes me think of adventure, ships sailing on the ocean, even though I don't really know anything about ships sailing on the ocean. It made me think about the 80s, Rock band, British rock band, Dire Straits, Sultans of Swing. Oh, just want to raise my hand to that. It also makes me think of straight jacket, not so good. All of those things are other stories, but I just had to talk about it briefly anyway. So to actually define the word, the word means despair, distress. And in other translations, that's what you're going to read a lot. You're going to read despair, distress. But a strait is also a narrow place. And I want us to think about it from the perspective of a ship just for a minute. It's a, it's a narrow place where there's really danger on either side. It's a hard place to get through. It's hard for people to traverse, which is distressing and despairing. And then the psalm says, I called out and he answered me. And uh, according to Robert Alter in his commentary, this is actually the formula, always. Not only for the psalms, but it's the formula for life. We call out, God answers us. I don't think there's ever a time when I don't need to call out. I think there's always something going on. Exercise makes me limp. I called out to God, <laughs> and he answered me. And he said, keep exercising. Keep doing the thing that gives you pain. Because he doesn't always answer us in the way that we ask. I want no pain. <laughs> so the rest of this poem is us asking for God's help in all the ways that we are finding that we need it right at this moment. And I'm just going to take like a second here and just ask you to consider, what do you need to call out to God about? Where do you need him to answer you? What are you needing right now? Did you come in without any needs? I don't think so, because I didn't. 
you put on your happy church face? Take it off. God likes your real face. We are in straits. We find ourselves in narrow places. We are in distress. I said this psalm is harsh. At its core, it's a lament. It's a song of repentance. I am hurt. I am in pain. And in my pain, I turn, return to you, my God, my Lord. Because where else can I go? And we're going to hear that in some following psalms. Where else can I go? So forgive me for trying to do it on my own. I say yes to your truth. I repent. So in this case, in this psalm, the psalmist, the writer, the singer, has been the target of slander, malicious slander. And then when I was reading this, I thought, well, what is the difference between slander and gossip? Proverbs speaks about it once in Proverbs 11 and once in Proverbs 16, and it says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Well, we know gossip is bad, right? Or do we? Because we engage in it all the time. In, in this crazy way, so much of social media is just gossip. It's just malicious words about how right I am and how wrong you are. And it can be very painful to read some of those things, not only individually, but also collectively as a group of people who, you know, who believe in Jesus Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the second half of verse 20. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Notice he mentions slander and gossip together because they are, meant, they are together. They are related but different. Biblically, gossip is sharing information that shouldn't be shared, and it's sharing information that may or not be true. Slander is definitely sharing information that is not true. I think in the church many times we have disguised gossip by calling it prayer requests. Can you just pray with me for that person because they're undergoing, oh my gosh, you have no idea. And then we get to tell our story. We cloak gossip because we like, we like to tell stories. I like, I like to tell stories. Um, we justify sharing personal, private information that really isn't our business to share. Is this sounding like a rebuke? Because it is. But I want to tell you that it's pointed at me as well. Sometimes relationships, reputations are destroyed. I... Uh, Actually, I, I have a daughter. I have three daughters. But one of my daughters was in a situation several years ago where she was just making some really awful choices. And we, John and I, we really did not know what to do with the choices that she was making. And so we had a season of needing to remove her, push her further away from our lives, really than we wanted to. 
but we really felt that that was the only thing that we could do in that season. And she was ugly and said things about us to many people, some of you actually, um, about who we were not and um, how awful we were to her. And I remember being so hurt in that season by what she was saying and wanting, like I wanted to like defend myself. Everything in me just wanted to like grab the mic and say, hey, that is so not true. But I thankfully, <laughs> in that particular season, somebody must have told me, because I think on my own, I don't know if I could have been this, I could have done it this well, but I, I just prayed. And what I heard over and over again from the Holy Spirit was this. I am not interested in your reputation, Barbara. I am only interested in your character. It was still hard. It didn't help. I still wanted to defend myself. But when I read the psalm, that just came rushing back to me about how painful that season was, knowing that people were thinking things were true. Actually, even in my family, um, there was my sister also, like, do we take sides, don't we? We take sides. <laughs> Taking sides is also part of gossip and slander. And my sister took a side without knowledge, and it was also really, really hurtful. So I'm telling you this because there's a higher road. I'm telling you this because I think God is calling us, even as this community, this beautifully weird little church that we love so much, is calling us to be better, to do better than we have done, to do better in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces than maybe we have ever done before. Because some information is nobody's business to share. Jesus said this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. True or not, we are not meant to share others' personal, private things it's gossip, and it might even be slander. Like the psalmist, each of us has been gossiped about. Each of us has felt that same pain, maybe to a lesser or a greater degree than the story that I've just told about myself. But if it's not the pain of gossip, it's the pain of something else. Life's circumstances cause us to hurt and to bleed. Wounds happen, which leads us to Meshech and Kedar. So, uh, Jonathan, can you throw that map up there? So, the star on the left is Israel. That's probably where the psalmist lived. That's probably where the writer was living. Meshech is up at the very, very top um, at the top of Turkey, almost kind of like the part of a, the a Russian peninsula up there. Way down in Saudi Arabia, that second red triangle, that's Qadar. What these two places had in common was the people there were 
slave owners and sellers of ill-gotten goods. They were not nice people that lived in both of those places. And the psalmist here is saying, I've been there. So is he saying he's been on a journey of a thousand miles? Probably not. But the people that he was writing the psalm for, they knew about these two towns. So it made sense to them. It's like um, what would be, I don't know, I want to say Las Vegas and uh, what? (laughs) You know, places where we would say, oh, there's more evil there than there is here. Um, We use Egypt as a metaphor for something, you know, get me out of Egypt. But these were metaphors for the place that he was finding himself. He was finding himself amongst people that were slandering him, and it hurt. Or her. Maybe this, this psalmist writer was a woman. Have we ever considered that? We can't say no to that one, can we? We can't say yes, but we can't. Ryan's looking at me like, don't go there, Bart. Okay. Anyway, wounds happen. <sighs> so Robert Alter, again, because he, he was my commentary source, feels that just speaking about these two towns, what the psalmist was really saying was that he was living among people who were behaving badly. He was living among gossips and slanderers, even though they should be far away from him. But here is where the psalm takes the turn. The psalmist takes the high road. He wants revenge and retribution, sharp arrows, the broom tree, which, by the way, creates like a really hot charcoal coal that if you put an arrow in it, man, it would be fiery hot. He wants to hurt the people that hurt him. Can you guys relate to that? I know I can. When I'm hurt, I want to hurt back. Sometimes in my closest relationships, I don't stop. I do hurt back, and then I have to walk back the hurt that I have caused. The psalmist cries out to God. The psalmist takes the high road. A lot of the times, though, when I'm hurt, I send out no distress signals, no SOS flares go up. I don't ask for help from anyone. I try to deal with it myself. Usually when I do that, it's in bad ways. Sometimes we leave. We just abandon the ship that's stuck in those narrows. We just get off the ship entirely. I can also totally forget to pray, especially when I'm hurt because I'm so busy trying to assuage my own pain. It's almost like it hurts more to share that I'm hurt than it does to ask for help. And in a crazy way, when I admit that I'm hurt, it makes me ashamed. I feel shame in that place. And ultimately, whenever I want to resource my own pain, it gets worse. So the invitation, can we take the high road? Can we seek no personal vengeance, no vendetta, no repaying evil with evil, instead trusting God and calling out to him and trusting that he will answer us his way, 
not the answer that we're necessarily wanting. And maybe as we do that, we will discover along with the psalmist that we are no longer content to live with those people who seem to be a thousand miles away from trusting God, those that continue to slander and gossip and do all kinds of evil things, um, especially involving other people, those whose ears are itching to hear the story and then retell it, those who, when we ask for peace, choose to go to war, can we, with love and humility, I'm going to say that again. Can we, can I, with love and humility, draw a line in the sand and avoid, maybe even end, relationships that bring harm to myself and to others, that bring war into our lives, war into our communities, and our pain, um, you know, our pain is never just personal. It's never just individual. It is always communal. When I am in pain, so are my children, my friends. So who are we here at LBCF? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that we are a people of love because we serve a God of love. We are a beloved people who are meant to seek shalom always, to seek peace with one another and with everyone else. Are we far away from one another, or can we choose to be close? Are we willing to live in love like Jesus by our obedience to the greatest commandment, loving God and our neighbors as ourselves? our neighbors that are both close and far. It's a quote by Ilya DeLeo. It says, our lives, your lives, have meaning and purpose. We either help build this world up in love or we tear it apart. We get to build it up in love together. This is the high calling. This is the high calling of this psalm of ascent. And we can only do it because we are aware that Jesus walks with us. Eugene Peterson calls this psalm a psalm of repentance. I touched on that earlier. Repentance reorients us. It's not just about turning away from sin. It turns us away from the lies that the world tells us and from the lies that we tell ourselves Repentance points us always, or it should, to the love of Christ for us and through us. Jesus loves me. This I know, this we know. That's what this whole book is about. This is a book of love. And finally, that's where we ascend to. Love is the high road. The knowledge of our belovedness is the high road. We participate in being loved by loving, which only happens when we allow God, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, again, to love us. May we allow that now.
So I'm going to invite us to look at this psalm again, only this time it's going to be in the message. And let's just read it out loud together and own it. (laughs) I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. Deliver me from the liars, God. They smile so sweetly but lie through their teeth. Do you know what's next? Can you see what's coming, all you bold-faced liars? Pointed arrows and burning coals will be your reward. I'm doomed to live in Meshech, cursed with a home in Kedar. My whole life lived camping among quarreling neighbors. I'm all for peace. But the minute I tell them so, they go to war. May we be the ones who cry out to God and trust that he answers us. And in the words of so many of the psalm, Selah.